folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except for extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. Welcome to episode 214 of Chell Massive. We have two hosts in this episode. We wanted it to be a Four Musketeers, but unfortunately, I think, Mark, the the timing and just getting back into the groove of regular life just and, and illnesses has whittled us down to two. It is survival of the fittest here in <laughs> podcast land. and. <sighs> You know, certain sacrifices have to be made for the common good, such as getting the podcast out on a weekly basis. And uh, <laughs> Noah and I both have pretty crazy schedules in the next couple of days. So we wanted to have all four of us that went to Dragon Con. This is, by the way, disclaimer, a What Happened to Dragon Con 2012 podcast, not the normal gaming podcast. We will be back next week with regular gaming goodness, and hopefully we'll be able to get Bob and Scott to join us for that one, although we've yeah. been talking about Dragon Con. Mm-hmm. Um, but for tonight, we're going to tell you a few things about Dragon Con. We've got some little items to bring up, and uh, it was a really good time, and we'd like to talk about it while it's still yeah. fresh before we, you know, replace those brain cells through the consumption uh. of too much alcohol or whatever <laughs> whatever Noah's on. Um, so Yeah, and it just felt like the right thing to do since we bombarded everyone with oh my gosh what is it going to be like what are we going to do last week and yeah this dun, is dun, what dun. happens this, How will this is we the aftermath survive? yeah exactly <laughs> and i gosh i'm not even sure where to begin other than for me I, I made mistakes somehow i ended up with the wrong return flight i also forgot my registration card but even with things like that we surmounted the challenges <laughs> We did. <laughs> made it through, the four of us. And I, I, when you've, I'm sure, Mark, for you, you, you've had people ask you, so what was it like? And for me, telling people where we were going to go on vacation, it was kind of difficult because I knew roughly to expect, but having not experienced it, I didn't know how to really describe it. And the funny thing is, coming back, after having experienced it, I still feel it's a little bit difficult to describe, but I've gotten <laughs> a little bit better at it each time. How right. have you been summing, summarizing the experience of what Dragon Con was to people, your friends and family back here, now that you're back? I've been doing a really bad job of it, but fortunately, <laughs> um, I work at the same place as Bob, and so when people have asked, he's had a pretty good description of it, which is like, it's kind of like a mixture of sci-fi, fantasy, cosplay and gaming goodness all wrapped into one um and and that kind of describes it you know costume contests and killer costumes that you know are some comic book stuff tributes to tv shows movies um you know everywhere you look pretty much a lot about gaming and a lot of you know sci-fi and fantasy interests in general represented you know across the board um yeah and then both in active stuff such as games, but also literary, of, yeah, 
more passive stuff where you're just consuming the the material. Yeah. When I when I described it to one person and I appreciated them saying this back to me because I thought about it but I didn't remember it in time. Mm-hmm. He said, "So it's like Comic Con." I'm like, "Yeah, it actually is. It has. I feel like even though I haven't been to Comic Con either, superficially I feel like it sounds a lot like Comic Con. Except the differences is I feel it would be more, much more nostalgic, nostalgia based. Yeah, and, and I mean, and also stuff that's currently going on now. Whereas I feel that Comic Con gets a lot of notoriety and press because it's all like, here's what's coming up in the next season of this TV show, and here we're we're going to tease you about this new TV show that hasn't happened, and we're going to give you the first ten minutes of this movie right. that comes out here. Well, that was what um, you know. That was another. I'm just like going to paraphrase everything Bob said today, but um, he had said, you know, comic. It is like Comic Con, except Comic Con's in L.A. where it's right there with the industry. So people are kind of pimping the industry stuff, um, you know, movie, film industry, whatever. But this is in Atlanta, so it's more fan based, you know. And yeah, and that's the fans true are in general. Part of it. Yeah, it's really important for the fans, about the fans. By the despite fans. the fans, by the fans, <laughs> yeah, you know, not not big on corporate sponsorship. Although some of the, um, you know, uh, track directors just so happen to have industry positions, like um, Mr. Caps from uh, Epic, is and his wife co-direct the the new video gaming panel or uh, track, which was this was the first year for that. So that was kind of interesting, um, and I think because of that, he was able to bring in some really, really interesting people right off the bat. And something that I thought that this convention made really worthwhile is there are touring conventions and there are fan-based conventions that come to Colorado, but I really don't think that national conventions like this that are long and storied, whether it's Dragon Con or Comic Con, you just can't beat the caliber of guests that they have, whether it's scientists or celebrities or authors or designers and and just really res- well respected really intelligent people yeah that we that even pax which is a fantastic convention and has its own level of celebrities there it just it can't compare to the scope of awe that can happen by going to dragon con and just seeing so many panels and seeing so many people that you never thought that you'd see in real life with your own eyes oh yeah totally and totally. hear them talk and be able to stand in the in a little quick line and ask them a question and yeah. have them answer you. It's just like it's it's really surreal how much it's even though it's like it's pretty much panels around the clock and some occasional contests and parties, that it's not about oh it's not like you're watching a talk show where they sit up there and they just talk in front of you and you're not actually engaged. It's all about like, all right, get in lines, this is gonna be questions. Sometimes the whole thing was just questions. There was no intro yeah. whatsoever. It's just like, all right, here you are. This is going to be about writing video games. We're not going to give you any background of anything that we've done other than a really quick two-minute yeah. intro about ourselves. What yeah. are your questions? It's just, just enough like, of what? an intro to say, trust us, we were either there for whatever you're talking about or we know what we're doing. But, you know, yeah. what are your questions? Which was interesting. And some were just pure factual panels where there was no QA, um, which one of my favorite ones was like that. But uh, Well, so I... I you know, I think we've got some topics here, um, and I'd kind of like to kind of go down around our round table of two, and uh, you know, kind of <laughs> ask. Ping pong them. table. Hi-ya! Yeah. So I think <laughs> the the first question I have is, you know, favorite panel of, after the entire event. Um, what was your favorite panel that you attended? This is such a hard thing 
to choose. <laughs> but the reason why it's hard for me to choose is because, in general, I'm bad about favorite anythings because I just like all sorts of stuff, right? As as you would know, and there are some panels I liked just from sheer humor point of view, right? Right. And some I I liked from educational point of view and some I was just starstruck. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's really them. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, goodness, with that said, I think I really liked one of my first panels, which was voice acting for video games, because it was a really well-rounded panel. It featured two male actors from Mass Effect, so the main male shepherd voice, as well as Kaiden, and then also the woman who voices GLaDOS in the Portal games. Oh, wow. And it was really well-rounded to me in that... Those are such was... tri- trivial... I mean, you couldn't find two lesser-known um, voices to be talking, <laughs> to have speak about such a thing as those two. I mean. No kidding, they've got such such celebrity notoriety and experience. And yeah. what I loved about the panel was that it was really well-rounded in that there were really good allegories and stories that they gave about their experience working in experiences working on those specific games. And then they also went broader than that, their history of working in the video game voice acting business in general and being actors in general. And then they also touched on what would you do if you actually wanted to get into it. So it really covered all the facets, whereas there was another one that was about art and video games and it really just devolved very quickly into something without any structure. And they were just <laughs> either talking about really technical stuff about being a video game artist or each of the panelists was getting way too detailed about their day-to-day workflow, right? which was not at all what I was expecting about. I thought they were going to say, well, here is artistic challenge that we had. Here's an image for you to look at. And we were requested this and we delivered this and some kind of a story versus like, well, you'll want to use this kind of software, and if you want to get in the industry, you should do this. And it's like, this is not what I want it for. There's a different panel for this. Right. Whereas the voice acting one, it really hit all of those different things. There's a celebrity factor, the humor factor, the cool stories, and information on how to do it all within an hour. It was really neat. It was just kind of like the complete panel. I mean, yeah. No, that's pretty cool. How about you? Um, Mine... It's probably not what you'd expect, really, because you were in this one, but it was the Battlestar Galactica panel. Oh, that was a good one. Um, and and it was kind of like, um, it was just amazing, because I think to a person, everyone on that panel, all the actors they had, so they had, now I can't think of their names, because I'm, I'm, I'm on the spot, but um, they had Richard Hatch, who was the old... Apollo, and also, um, oh, God, what's his, what, what, was, what was his new character's name? Um, oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I would, remember. <laughs> okay, well, then they had, um, yeah, thank, thanks, Noah, for that. <laughs> Katie Sackoff, which is the, um, she's the new Starbuck. And a lot of the, uh, anyone who watches Battlestar Galactica knows a lot of it was about her. Um, they had Michael Truco, who was Sam. Um, he was the, he was kind of the a future equivalent of a football player that started to get caught up in the story. Um, and then Jamie yeah. Bamber, who was Apollo. Yeah. The new Apollo. Um, um, 
gosh, I can't believe I can't remember the the new character for Richard Hatch. But anyway, um, I'll look it up while you're talking. Keep talking. They had those guys, and they didn't have um, the guy that played guys, Baltar, James James Callis, I think's his name, which I had expected him to be there. But even without him, it was they were all so eloquent, so. They had so many good little stories, especially about Edward James almost who played yeah. um, Adama, that you almost came out of it feeling like you had been there. I mean, they were so good at like discussing what happened during the the the, the filming and all the little. Oh, Tom Zarek, yeah, that's who Richard Hatch played, um, and then of course he was the old Apollo. Um, but it was really interesting just the way they'd go back and forth and talk about stuff and. Um, how different people saw different things from a different perspective, and again, they were just so eloquent and well spoken. And even talked about the ending and really, and Starbucks character arc and about her whether she's human or not, and, and how they were, yeah, was, oh. they were they seemed so invested in their characters, and you'd even you know I mean you just got a feeling like they weren't just they weren't just there to make the money or they weren't just there to build their, their portfolio. They were yeah. really into what was going on. And they, I think they all viewed it as like a once in a lifetime experience just because there was so much talent, you know, yeah. in, in that area, the writing was exceptional. The, um, the acting, the actors and acting was, was especially good. Even the music by uh, bear or whatever, um, was bear incredible. Oh, I yeah. still, I have both, both soundtracks for it. Um, and I'm not I'm not big on collecting you know original soundtrack scores, but I thought it was just such a and they oh the other guy was the um, the scientific advisor the science advisor and of course I don't remember his name because he's not a you know a list celebrity but he was hilarious and one of the things he talked about was they were like you know was there ever any time that a script had something in it that you just you know had to say no to and he's like well the only time I would have really done that was the the big what they call it the big bounce where the Battlestar Galactica falls into the atmosphere of a planet almost crashes almost lands on the planet and I forget why it was doing this in the story and then at the last minute it does the you know their equivalent of warping out and it was just the coolest looking effect to see this gigantic ship on fire you know falling into the atmosphere and he's like yeah and you know that would have that would have uh, broken up into pieces. There's no way something that big wouldn't have just, you know, been decimated by an atmospheric ending. And they're like, well, why didn't you, why didn't you veto? And he's like, it just would have looked, it just looked so damn cool. <laughs> yeah. He, he like had to see it. <laughs> and I thought that was like a really cool insight where, you know, sometimes just being, you know, right in the name of science isn't, you know, the be all end all. So all that, all that combined in the star factor and everything and, uh, it just blew me away. Katie Sackhoff was awesome. <laughs> She's so totally funny, new appreciation so charismatic. So charismatic, you just can't. And it doesn't even come across on screen, although I guess it kind of does, but even in person it was just like, holy crap. Yeah. She was really likable. So that was my favorite one, and it really surprised me because I thought I'd go to some of the panels with celebrities, but I was really expecting to find something that was like my, you know, the real gym in, in one of maybe the more science oriented ones or something. But no, that was the one most memorable for me by far. And one of the first ones, too. So it set the bar really high. It did. It really did. Well, with all your panels that you went to and all the events, what what is the most interesting thing you learned or, you know, fact or something you picked up that you weren't aware of? Oh, wow. 
that's I think something that I, I'm not sure if it was really a learning more than an affirmation, but I went to a panel called Masculinity in Star Wars, which some people were derisive of because like, what the hell is this going to be? <laughs> Even when I was sitting in the panel, which was pretty much full, there was almost standing room only because it was moderated or it was spoken by with four different authors in the expanded universe and including Timothy Zahn, my favorite. Oh, that's and really cool. I could hear somebody walk up outside the door of the conference room saying masculinity and star Wars. What the hell's that? And just like making jokes about it and stuff like that. And, but it was actually a really cool panel. They did a great job about talking about what was the, what was masculinity like in the 1970s and how did that really influence the creation of the original characters and how they acted the original men in the story. Since after all, there's really only one woman of note right. in the original trilogy of movies and the, and they really did a good job of talking back and forth about how they thought that influenced it. And then talking about how women are so underrepresented in the, in the whole galactic army and the whole managerial structure of everything in the empire and the rebel Alliance and the Republic and how they've tried to iron that out and make it more, well, more like what we're used to here in our world and galaxy, so to speak. But the funny thing is, is they focused a lot on those movies and they'd spent a lot of time talking about Princess Leia. I'm like, this is masculinity, but they felt that there was such a contrast and that Princess Leia, for being the only woman, had such a strong personality and she had such oh. a strong sway over the men. It's just like, well, what is her role in relation to the masculinity? So they talked a lot about that. And finally, somebody broached the prequel trilogies because it seemed like it was almost being, they were being <laughs> intentionally avoided. And I was like, gosh, what do these expanded universe people think of the prequel trilogies? And they hate them. They just started, they really didn't hold back and letting loose about how they thought the writing was awful and that the character creation was awful and that Padme is like totally psycho controlling and just a horribly developed character. And that the idea that she's going to fall in love with the kid that she babysat no, and then yeah. have kids twin kids that end up having romantic interests initially in the, in the original trilogy. Right. And one of the authors joked, it's like 50 shades of gray. And one of the other authors said like, no, this is more like 50 shades of Appalachia. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> and it was just a really funny panel, but just to hear these people who are really invested and employed within the star Wars universe. And they have to have so many things run through George Lucas. I mean, they one author talked about how he wanted to introduce a gay relationship or a gay character in the expanded universe of Star Wars, which is what, like fifty, sixty books now. Right. And five years ago when they ran it past Lucas, they're like, eh, yeah. Lucas Arts that are represented not specifically George Lucas. They're like, yeah, we're not gonna have that. <laughs> and they also talked about how things need to be really chased. Like the movies are really chased. Yeah, There's not a lot very. of sexual tension and like the main protagonist of the original trilogy basically has no romantic relationships at all. Yeah. Luke is just pretty much asexual as I describe. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> makes sense. He really is. And so the, the most interesting thing that I learned, what I'm trying to get at is just Bring it that home, these authors feel the same way as I do, but they still love the franchise just as much and are just as invested. And, they shake their heads at this silly crap and they don't try to 
sugarcoat it and say, oh, well, we've improved that somehow via the expanded universe novels. They're just like, yeah, it stinks. And to hear these people who just really know their stuff say that made me feel good. <laughs> As well they should. Yeah, no, that's – wow. Yeah, that's pretty interesting really to hear – hear that they weren't so excited about the trilogy and weren't going to sugarcoat it. Yeah. So how about you? What was the most interesting thing you learned? So and I, I think I told you most of the stories from this one just because it was so mind-boggling, especially because when I was born, you know, I was I was born in 69, so the last, last year of the 60s. Um, so I grew up, you know, thinking that someday there'd be a war between the U.S. and Russia, and I thought the Red Dawn, the movie, looked pretty likely, and things like that. So what I went to was a panel called, um, I can't believe they did that shit in space, but they, you know, kind of didn't say shit, but said <laughs> SH and an asterisk and an FT. But anyway, the, uh, the guy that uh, did the panel, it was purely informative, there was no Q&A. He was a Ph.D. guy from one of the independent um, space companies that's, you know, working on getting stuff into low Earth orbit and based out of Atlanta. And I can't remember his name, but he was he was really good. And he just started out in like 1964 and started to go through all kinds of stuff that I had no idea ever happened between, you know, mostly between the U.S. and Russia competing in, you know, doing the space race thing. And there's a whole litany of things that would horrify you from this, such as, you know, 21 nuclear tests occurred in space, 14 by the U.S., 7 by USSR. Um, there Who would was, do uh, that? I don't know, but it messed up Hawaii really bad because nobody realized that an EMP pulse that high in the, in the at 90 miles above the Earth would be unbounded by any land. And so it pretty much took out most of the communications infrastructure as, as primitive as it was at the time in Hawaii. And I saw a picture from Honolulu and it looked like we had another sun because they did it at like two in the morning. Um, so, and that was the U S that did it too. It wasn't like Russia. Nice. <laughs> we did it to ourselves. Um, there was also a story of this crazy, like, um, like ramjet, based um stealth bomber that the US was working on that used had nu- it had nuclear powered jet engines that um would just leave behind it it could stay in the air for 100,000 miles because it was nuclear fueled but unfortunately it didn't really have any way to deal with the um radiation that came out of the jet engines which was mostly you know like what you would call fallout and so part of their plan was well if we're in a war we'll load this thing up with nukes we'll fly over the opposing country um, from some base not located in the U.S., and we'll we'll bomb the hell out of them, and then we'll just fly around in circles because this thing just drops fallout everywhere it goes. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess they got part they got part of the way through building it, but they never actually completed it or flew it. Um, but the most of all of that, the most interesting thing I thought was the U.S. guys were, and this was like in the '60s or something. I think it was the late '60s. They were worried about what would happen in a nuclear war or any kind of conventional war if the enemy, which was, you know, Russia or USSR, was to cut the intercontinental communication cables. They were really worried about this. They're like, well, then we could just bounce, you know, signals off the ionosphere, but we'd really want to reinforce that thing so we'd, you know, have more, uh, you know, better uh, communications, um, you know, bandwidth, so to speak. And so what they came up with was a plan to reinforce the ionosphere. And so what they did was they launched um, at, at also at like 90 miles in orbit above the Earth, 
um, 480 million one-inch-long copper needles, which formed a ring. Um, and the ring of it is it runs north to south, so it's like the opposite of the uh, equator. Or not the opposite, but it's like perpendicular to it. And they're, the way they sold it to you know, the president and everyone was they said, well, it'll only be there for three years and then it'll, you know, decay and fall out of orbit. So it's not a permanent, you know, man-made ionosphere. So they did it. They got it up. They got 480 million needles into orbit and it started, it formed a ring. It made an artificial ionosphere. It made for great communications with their equipment that they'd set up for it. And then what happened is it never went away. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> Occasionally, clumps of it get together and get some kind of, um, you know, enough weight to get nudged into orbit, and then, you know, they it burns up in the on reentry into the atmosphere. But there's still some number, millions of, you know, one inch uh, long copper needles orbiting our Earth, um, and I guess you could probably still use it. So that was interesting, shocking, horrifying. It was horrifying, shocking, <laughs> and just entertaining to hear what you know these two superpowers were doing um you know while competing for this space race thing wow yeah pretty crazy so another big thing about dragon con were the costumes there were i would have thought that you know the costumes would be amateurish because these are fans you know, these aren't professional Hollywood costume people. Not so much. I mean, I <laughs> saw some incredible costume stuff. I mean, in, in just incredible. Mind-boggling, really. Um, yes. A lot of really good ones. Um, one of the ones that... I don't think it's my favorite, just because I thought it was odd, but it was interesting, was a woman who had, like, a raptor head on her, like an animatronic raptor head, a raptor claw and an animatronic tail. And then the rest of her was human wearing a, like a cocktail dress. And she mm. had the hand, the claw rigged up to where certain movements caused certain things to happen with the head and the tail. It was yeah. so elaborate and so, so just cool looking the way it worked. I mean, because the head was a huge extension up. Of, it was like basically like where her head was, was the base of the neck and the head went up another couple of feet, I guess, and then arched over and the jaws would open and it would look around and it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite costume isn't really, um, wasn't really one costume, but it was kind of an ensemble, which was, um, I was sitting around waiting for this post-apocalyptic gaming panel to start, and all these guys with Fallout 3-based costumes all kind of convened in one area and met up. And so you had, like, people who were vault dwellers with their, like, crazy electro-vibro swords, and you had a bunch of guys in the heavy armor, um, you know, the Brotherhood of Steel or whatever, um, and you had, you know, just all these guys with this Fallout theme all got together and since I was sitting there in the hall, it turned into, like, a photo shoot. And I had, like, the primo space, so everybody was, like, standing over me. So I was like, hey, let me get a picture. And I got everybody out of the way. I got a great picture of it. And that was probably my favorite for the whole thing was that one. Um, what about you, Noah? Were there, was there one that inspired you more than any other? Or? Gosh, it's really an overload. I ended up taking so many pictures of costumes. And even then, it was still only a fraction. I... What was weird about being around that many people in costumes for that long of amount of time, I mean, just all day long, I think by the second day out of four, 
I just started to go numb to it. Like, uh, like oh, yeah. people in costumes. <laughs> and yeah. it's a shame because there's just, there really are so many great ones. I mean, I still ended up taking even more pictures after that. But the Raptor one that you mentioned is definitely one that sticks out of my head because it was just really clever. It was simple yeah. and clever and, and well done. But another one that I thought that was pretty impressive that I saw, at least in, in person, and it's one that I think was Scott's favorite, was this, uh, it was a War Machine costume. Oh, um, yeah. That When you say like, oh, there's somebody dressed up as War Machine. Well, yeah, there's like five War Machines at least. And there was like three or four sixes from Battlestar Galactica. There was tons of dead mouses for whatever reason. Don't know why the dead mouse thing was so popular. Yeah. The sixes, there could not be enough of the sixes. Yes. There was one. There was one stellar six. And then there was a bunch of just, you know, regular sixes. <laughs> yeah, and so this War Machine, what was interesting about it, was that his eyes would light up and then he could aim, he could have the gun on his shoulder, animate and fire and light up. And then also he had a a, bit, a a light up and firing gun on his hand and his chest lit up. And just really interestingly animated and kind of going along with that, there was a League of Legends cosplayer dressed up as Tarek of all things, who's one of the most oh. derided and least yes. popular characters in League of Legends. Tarek the Rainbow Warrior. Yeah, partially. Or Jim, because, Jimstone Warrior. Yeah, the Jimstone Warrior. Though the way that Mark initially described him is kind of one of the reasons why he's not very popular. He's made yeah, fun he's, of. Him. He's a lot of different. They, he's always in like a very bright color, and all of his colors are like a lot of the a lot of the characters go for a realistic kind of shading, but his are always like over the top. Over the top, yeah, practically glowing. Like, and this guy, all his weapons and shields and everything glowed just like it. Yeah, he picked. The most uh, garish of all of Tarek's costumes, because in League of Legends, every every champion has multiple skins or costumes. And he made this gigantic hammer, and it's supposed to be crystalline, crystal-based. And so he got all of this faux quartz crystal covering to put all over both ends of the hammer, the, the mallet part of the hammer, lit it up from within with purple, so it's like glowing amethyst. And then he has glowing amethyst crystals on his shoulder pads and he had this huge light up shield that was also and it's just like wow it, it was, was wow and for a character that a lot of people most people didn't even know who he was which surprised yeah he was shocked because we were like Tarek can we get a picture and he was like yes <laughs> he's like you know who I am yeah well and Riot was there too the makers of League of Legends so yeah and there actually were a lot of there was a whole batch of League of Legends cosplay people there I got a picture of him. So listeners hearing us talk about it may be insufficient. So what I hope to do is within the next week or two, go through my pictures and post some, just post a selection up on the website so you can get a feel. Yeah, we have that um, gallery thing on our website, so we could make a yeah. whole gallery. And we also, you know, I set up that Dropbox share so we can jump. I haven't done it yet, but I plan to do it tomorrow. Dump all of our pictures on there, and then we can just, you know, yeah. Pull out the best ones, like my the one I think that's my favorite is the the Fallout Three guys. I also have a really killer um, one of the three hundred, but I'm sure one of you guys has a better camera than got that same picture. Yeah, that was another thing I just didn't expect. It, it's interesting because I wonder, Mark, in the cosplay arena, how are things, for instance, five years ago? 
when Harry yeah. Potter was really popular? Was there was there just like tons of Harry Potter people? Because at this there were Harry Potter people there, but yeah. it was very 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 few. I did and, see a couple of really good Harry Potter ones though. I really did. Um, yeah, but it's like so many of the costumes are really driven by whatever happens to be popular. Or but or, the three hundred so yesterday, and there were so many what, yeah. of them, and, and they were all perfect. Yeah, like they were uniform. Like those shields were. I was. It, we've got the picture. It was crazy. And then there was a bunch of ladies in Roman clothes too, with the dudes. It was or uh, not. It's not Roman, but um, whatever the hell they were, Athenian. <laughs> um, I don't know, but it was so cool. Yeah, Spartans. Spartans. Yeah, sorry. I, my, I am I well versed in ancient history. history. <laughs> um, yeah, that it was true. It's like, what would be the theme? You know, I mean, I saw I saw a whole bunch of Scarlet Witches, which I don't know why that's such a big draw um, from the Marvel universe. Yeah. And I saw the um, girl from Watchmen. I can't remember what her name is in the yellow and black jumpsuit. I saw a couple of. Her. Ooh, I would have liked to have seen that. You know what? I really forgot all about was our first night there when we were kind of still like shell-shocked and we're standing in the Marriott which seems to be kind of the place where everybody which is a really cool architecturally built hotel by the way but um we were standing there and um a guy in a giant Chewbacca suit who dwarfed me walked by and I'm 6'6 so I was like wow and I think he had some (laughs) kind of stilts thing going but I got a picture with him and that was a killer costume it was, it was really, I mean, he was the biggest Wookiee I've ever seen. Yeah, it was really cool. So I got a picture of that, too, and I was just like, that is a hell of a, co-. and it was so funny, too, because it was a happy Wookiee. Like, yes. he's totally grinning, and that was even, that made it even all the more cool, was he was a smiling Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I was blown away by the quality of the costumes. I mean, I I saw a beaker with he was like a kind of like a martial arts beaker from you know um, really? Sesame Street or whatever, and yeah he had like this crazy like it looked like a ninja costume on or something, and it was it looked as good as the one my wife had made of beaker years ago that won a costume contest for Halloween. I mean it was like yeah. I saw some just just the quality of the costumes blew my mind. So anyway, yeah. going on about that. Who was your favorite panelist, Noah? Oh, <laughs> again, this is a, it's a difficult choice because there were just so many good ones. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Quick decision time. Oh, OK. I know who I'll see. I went to an archer panel and. Oh, yeah. It was it was run by. All the animators were there, but they weren't officially part of the panel. They just happened to be sitting in the front row. But the voice actors who were featured were the voice actors for the characters for, of Krieger and Pam, which oh, are definitely God. secondary characters in, in the cast. Yeah, but, but Krieger's oh, hilarious. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And just in person, they're both really skilled at improv- improvisational comedy. I mean, the woman spent time in Second City. Oh wow! Uh, that which is like probably our country's foremost improvisational comedy troupe, and the other guy has done just plenty of theater as well. And they were just riffing off each other so well, and they said so many freaking funny things. It was totally worth the wait. It was worth the line. I'm so glad that I got in to see it. So I will pick awesome. them, uh, the, the pair of them, as my favorite panelists. That is really cool. How about you? Wow. What was your favorite panel? Who was your favorite panelist? There were so many good panelists. 
Um, yeah, I know, you know what you mean because it's like you sit there and like, gosh, I think about it. I, I've been still going through the app. I have to reference the app because there was just so much that we did. I'm like, what did yeah. I sign up for? What did I sign up for? And I cleaned up my app schedule so that all that's left is the things that I actually went to for the most part. And right. poor, I, I don't know how Mark and Bob did it because they were like booked so out torn. eight to ten things <laughs> for every single hour. <laughs> Yeah, being like, you know, it's like I'm into gaming, I'm into all the, you know, sci-fi and fantasy literature, I'm into the um, the movies, I'm into the Electronic Freedom Foundation and stuff, and there, there were world-class panelists for that, um, guys that have written books, on guys that in, invented, you know, Blowfish encryption algorithm and stuff like that, Um like there were people that were so competent in the 13 or 14 different tracks that were there. It was really hard to choose. And so I think mostly my smallest number of choices of things that I found really interesting was four. And then I'd have to like, you know, figure out, well, how has it been going? Is this the, you know, am I, am I all done with science? Do I want to switch over to something gaming? You know, what do I want to do? You know, I mean, it was tough. Um, and then they, you know, they added the new video gaming track, which just blew me away. Um, man, that is tough. I need to buy some time. What, who's your favorite panelist? <laughs> okay, who is my second favorite panelist? <laughs> okay, I, I've got it. I can, I can tell you. Do you want me to? Do you want me to tell you? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so as all of our listeners know, all two of you, um, distribute around the world, of course. Um, <laughs> International. My, I've, you know, I made a. I made a really, I made, I, I made it into an ordeal, but I described my, my reading, uh, my eventual reading of the Wheel of Time, nearly 20 years after I started reading it, the the saga of the Wheel of Time, and how, um, you know, the, the how difficult it was, and how it gets so slow in the middle, as um, Robert Jordan just fragmented the the narration across gazillions of characters, some of which were important, some of which would never be seen or heard from again. <laughs> um, some of which you just were like, I don't want to know what happens in the women's knitting circle, goddammit. I want to know what's <laughs> happening to the main protagonist, or even antagonist. I don't care, but I don't want to know about these ancillary characters anymore. And then, you know, I described that it slowly picked up, and then, of course, he died. And um, this, this of course poor he guy... Died. This poor dude named Brandon Sanderson took it over and um, has done, to, to, in my opinion, a great job, a, an excellent job. I can't think of anyone else who could have taken it on and done so well um, and, and done it in, you know, and been able to not only bring his own kind of humor and his own writing style to it, but have upheld the level of the story and been able to, you know, keep the, keep it true to the dream and everything and have the respect of, of a super fan for it. Right. So Brandon Sanderson would be my favorite panelist because I first saw him for a gaming track uh, presentation or panel, which was for infinity blade, which is to my knowledge, the, the first and only real triple a title for the uh, iOS devices. Um, and that was a shocker. I had no idea he was even involved with it. Um, and to find out, you know, kind of what happened, how he got drawn into the gaming industry, it gave me even more respect for him because he's such a control freak with the books he does that he doesn't let 
Tor or whatever publishing company he's working with, although I think it's always Tor, um, pick the illustrator. He spends his own money and commissions his own art, and it costs him around $20,000 a book because he doesn't want them to do the classic thing, which happens in sci-fi and fantasy literature all the time, which is where you can't judge a book by its cover because the illustrator is off on some crazy tangent and it actually has nothing to do with the story, which happens quite often. I don't know if you've run into this, Noah. Oh, yeah, but. it's it's frustrating because it's, it's frustrating because I'll get to the part in the book where whatever's on the cover is illustrated, whether it's a character or it's an event. I'm like, this doesn't look like how it's described at all. Yeah. It'll it's make like, me want to go back and reread it. Like, did I, did I misunderstand what the description was? You know, a typical thing will be where they describe like the protagonist saying he's a male and he's got a female love interest as she's like a slim, almost boyish figure, you know, but she's so, you know, cocky and irreverent and lovable, you know, that she she's just the perfect woman for him. And yet then the illustrator gets it and turns her into this like voluptuous sex in a thong and you're like it says she wears men's clothing and you know she wears (laughs) britches and you're like what the hell who the fuck is that you know not that i don't mind but that doesn't seem to fit and then you know the protagonist is drawn like super buff and you know what i mean it's just so anyway i had like respect for him for doing that and he's like well and you know once you pay the twenty thousand dollars or whatever it is for all the illustration you need well the book company and the publisher they're like hey that's that's fine. We don't. We didn't want to spend that money anyway. So they're, you know, because they're everybody's so tight in the publishing business. It's it totally works for him. So I had a respect for that. I had a respect for how he took on the challenge of taking all these game features for Infinity Blade and turning it into a story. And then I already knew what he had been doing with the Wheel of Time because I was, you know, caught up on all that. And then I saw him in like two other subsequent panels. One of which was a reading from the um, Memory of the Light, which will be the last book of the of the entire series. And he read, he started at like chapter 14 and covered a character named Matt, who he has taken a lot of um, heat for because in the first book that he did where he took over, everyone said he didn't capture the character correctly. So I thought it took a lot of bravery to do a reading of that character to show that, yeah, he does in fact have him right. And I got to tell you, he does in fact have him right. So it was cool. (laughs) I was just like, you know, and and you saw him in a panel. He was just, you know, he was not your typical... I mean, he was a very talkative, super high-energy guy, which kind of explains probably why he can write a fantasy book in six months where others take, you know, years, 18 months, or in Robert Jordan's case, you know, like 30 years. Well, it would have been 30 years if he'd lived, I think. Um, And I think, too, he's done a great job of wrapping it all together. And one thing that really I thought was great was he was really humble about it. He says... You know, they asked him, what's the difference between you and Robert Jordan? He said, well, I can tell a story, but Robert Jordan was a master of prose. And that's true. He was a really good, really good writer. Um, so um, I thought it was it was pretty interesting to hear that. And it was cool because he was really humble about that. And uh, I don't know, just definitely got a lot of, got of uh, good feelings. <laughs> <laughs> what well, about you? Thing to have. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that brings us to funniest story and our little checklist of things we want to talk about in this episode. And uh, I think the funniest story, (laughs) it it actually wasn't directly related to the convention, but it did really crack me up because this is my kind of humor. (laughs) 
we were at the hotel and I think it was the first night and I can't actually remember what the context was of how this got brought up, but there is, you guys were talking about Scott cause Scott and I shared a room, whereas Mark and Bob stayed in their own rooms and well, in case we needed prostitutes <laughs> or to stream <laughs> endless amounts of porn. Apparently. <laughs> 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 but fifteen gigs of porn. <laughs> I, I can't. If you can remember the context, please interrupt me. But there was, a, for some reason, where you talked about how eventually Scott would go to sleep and he would wake up <laughs> to find me observing him standing over him, <laughs> standing over his bed. Yeah. <laughs> when we, uh, I think Scott actually left early on the second night, and. Mark and I were coming back just, the t- I think it was just the two of us, wasn't it? Yeah. And Mark wanted to taunt Scott for whistling out early. I think this was actually the third night that it yeah. happened. And he's like, I think you need to go in there and make a ton of noise. <laughs> and if not that, just just like literally like stoop directly over him on the bed and just like get the expression that Mark created to suggest exactly how I should monitor Scott while he's sleeping and hopefully wake him up while I'm doing this. Right. I, I actually a constipated lifeguard look. Yeah, just like your face all scrunched up and eyes really big and <laughs> just getting really close, like six inches above Scott while he's just sleepy there. And it was cracking me up so much that I didn't intend to make any noise when I got into the room, but I kept laughing while I was in the room because I was imagining myself doing that and trying to imagine exactly how Scott would wake up. What would his reaction be? Would he hit me? Would he shove me out of the ground? Would I get injured? I'd still laugh a lot. (laughs) No, that's too funny. Oh man. (laughs) What what was one of your (laughs) funny stories? And I, and I'm wondering if it's going to be the chick that we ran into, the friend that we made on the bus back, or the or the bus to registration. No, no, that was that was fun. I know I'm gonna t- I'm gonna cheat and do both stories. So okay. the first night there, we're dra- we're uh, we're on our our first day there. We're headed there, or no, the night for registration. We're headed there yeah. to uh, go downtown. From we were 20 miles away or 20 minutes away. We're gonna go downtown. And get registered, and we had some crazy story rigged up for why Noah forgot his pass, like you know, his dog ate it or something. <laughs> but uh, so we get on the bus, and and the worst scenario, worst possible, worst case scenario occurs, which is this drama bomb of a woman <laughs> who is kind of like your quintessential representative of what you fear most about Dragon Con strikes up a conversation with the three of us and says, and I quote, you guys don't mind if I follow you around like a lost little puppy. I'm not sure where everything is. And I was like, oh, fuck. And so we're on the bus and we're all trying to ignore her. But Noah and I get into this, like, text conversation. Because <laughs> we're up, so mature. Because <laughs> we're, we're so friendly. We're so accepting. And we're so, above all other things, so mature. Right? Yeah, and so we're for everyone. Yeah, we're like, we're like, you know, this, well, I don't know how you would describe it. It was, it wasn't that we were mean. No. It was. But it was a prime opportunity to make a joke. So I think the first thing that I did was, 
we had talked about how in the Dragon Con FAQs, and we talked about this, this I think, last week, it tells you how to approach someone that you're interested in and how to strike up a conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's where I accidentally found the, yeah, what if you have sex at Dragon Con? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and one of the things was people do not like being referred to as targets. <laughs> and so I texted to Mark while this lady is just saying all this random crap. And it's just like every time you think she's going to stop talking, because we weren't even sitting together. I mean, I think each of us was sitting in a different row, and yet she targeted us oh, yeah. metaphorically. And she just kept saying questions. It's like we thought that she'd stop talking, and she'd keep bringing something up. So I said to, I sent a text to Mark that says, quick, call her your target. Call oh, her no. your target, and then she'll go away. You know, actually, I have the whole transcript here. So here's oh, no. what happened. Um, after she established initial communications, this was at 4.29 p.m., and we were horrified. I, saw, I shot a text off to Noah and said, oh, no, must dodge lost puppy. Yeah. Noah, feeling snarky, writes, let's make a connection with the drama queen. And I was like, no, 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 Bob is running interference. In the hooking up FAQ, they call her Ilka Drama Bomb. And that's because she had switched. Bob was their next target with some questions, and he actually was nice and talked back. He was indulging her. And then Noah said, quick, someone call her a target. And then I was like, remember those not my president T-shirts during the Bush administration era? I'm thinking, not my target. And then it started with help, dot, 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 me, dot, dot, dot. And then I think she started talking to someone else. And Noah was like, yeah, Noah was like, new target acquired, connection protocol initiated. And then then it was me that got stuck talking to her. And so I started texting Noah. I was like, kill me. (laughs) Please, no more chatting. (laughs) And then Noah was like, and this was after we were walking and we were trying to get away from him. He was like, target on your six, repeat target on your six. Because <laughs> we were walking through the world's longest turnstile. What is it called? That's, that's where I like sprinted away from the group. And it was like, hey, where are you? We're at the Hyatt. Because <laughs> we, we were walking through this like mile long back and forth velvet rope area to get oh, to the badges yeah. that was empty. And of course, she'd followed us and she was right behind Mark. And I'm like, she's going right. to get you, she's going to get you. Well, she was and behind I, you because you cut in front of her. And then she's like, you brat. And then and I she's cut like trying to, Yeah. I, I cut through like three or four because I was like, must escape. Talk, chatty, hussy. Yeah. It and the was, way that this all started out, the way her character, so to speak, was introduced to us, is she's loudly leaving a voicemail on the bus before she started talking to any of us. her she's significant like, other. Yeah, she's like, Hello, I'm here. I'm on the bus. We're going to go pick up her badges. Not like, sure why you're not picking up. <laughs> yeah, that was the key phrase. I'm not sure why you're not answering your phone. I'm like, well. And I, I feel like she this. provided a lot of detail as to why after that. Oh, God. And, was, uh, and then, oh, that's and right. then, she had a good time at the convention, but fortunately that was the last time that we saw her. Yeah, it was, that was the beginning and the end, unless she was one of the crazy characters we saw. Um, but that, to me, is not quite the funniest story because we went to another panel Noah and I ended up at together with a giant Canadian dude um, which was to it was meet Agent Scully from the X-Files and we got to see Jillian Anderson in real life yeah wow is a so cool. very beautiful woman she's aging well I have to say she has long blonde hair now she's got a tan which is inexplicable because she lives in England yeah she was uh, quite hot um, but she was 
she started out by coming out and asking them to dim the lights because she wanted to pretend there was no one in the audience. And then she said, I wasn't drunk last night, really. And then she just me, just so just, you know, I'm not me, hung over. what you get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not hung over. And so she's like, I haven't had anything to drink since I was 20 or for a long time or something like that. Right. So then she started talking and, and she couldn't remember like anything, like any facts. It was so spacey. And she kept just going, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and like just holding her head in her hands. And it was, and you know, all that, and I still, like, adored the woman, right? Because yeah. of Agent Scully, and, I mean, she was just such a cool actress, and it was, it was really cool. She talked about all kinds of stuff, and a lot of the questions were good, and little girl actor asked her about acting questions, and how she got started, and so all that went on, and it still was, like, a fairly common panel, until the last question. Yes. Which I ha I just feel like I wanted to record it, but I didn't know it was coming, so I didn't record it. But if I could have recorded anything that happened there, I would have recorded that. Um, because, I, shall we discuss it? Yes, you have to. I was I, I deliberately did not say this one because I knew you. I, I had a hunch you wanted to use this one. <laughs> okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but they asked, "Have you ever met anyone who thought they were an alien or or had a really weird? Have you ever met any really weird fans?" And she said, "Yes." I met a woman, or no, I met a person. She didn't even start out by telling us the sex of the person who claimed to be an alien from another planet. And then she proceeded to talk about how, at a young age, girls on this planet were taught to squat. And they would squat on top of rocks, which eventually became smaller. Which they had to pick up. They had to, pick, they had the to pick up with the only means they could do by squatting without using their hands. Now, this is Julian Anderson, Agent Scully's voice, telling this story, right? And yeah, again, before this, is like they have a very aggressive repopulation situation, situation. where they have to have sex a lot. Oh, and yeah, this... they can have – then the person claimed to be able to have a spontaneous orgasm. Still, you didn't know the sex of the person. So she's like, yeah – this person, the alien, claimed to be able to have spontaneous orgasms, and they had, yeah, they were underpopulated, and so they were taught from a young age. The girls were taught to squat and pick up rocks without their hands, and then they would progressively pick up smaller rocks and move them until eventually they had some kind of crazy control over things. And then she said, "This person proceeded to demonstrate this." By taking a paintbrush, <laughs> putting it in herself, and then projecting it across the room into a wall for me. And at that time, no one is even breathing. I'm pretty sure no one, we had all like shut down all autonomic functions. I'm not even sure if hearts were beating because we were all just like going, this is the most weird shit I've ever heard from anyone ever. Um, but she stopped several times, and we thought she was done. She was talking <laughs> about like they aggressively had to have a lot of sex because they were underpopulated. I'm like, is this person trying to propose sex with Jillian yeah. Anderson? And then it turned into the whole crotch grabbing thing. I was like, oh my god! And then she got to the whole stick that they progressed down to a stick. And and then she's like, she, and she stopped before she did the squatting thing. She asked, she's like, should I continue this? Are there kids? Are there too many kids in the audience for this? And we're like, oh my god! <laughs> How can like, yeah, go for it? <laughs> and then she told that the final part, and we were all just like, 
And then the clapping began, but it was like this. It was like, uh, uh, uh my mind is blown. Um, and then that wrapped it up. That was the last question, which was really awkward. Um, yeah, the guy who asked that question, he said, that was worth the price of everything that I've spent <laughs> for this entire yeah, convention. It was. <laughs> it was. And, you know, um, Anyone who listens to the podcast should know that Jason is massively in love with Julian Anderson. And so had he been there at that time, he might have spontaneously orgasmed as well, which would have been awkward for all of us. Well, actually, speaking of this whole podcast thing, I I don't think either of us can really do justice to it. But Scott went to an MMO podcast roundup. Oh, that's right. Uh, MMO based podcasts. Right. Yeah, and it was run by one – the panel was headed by a girl right? who has done a whopping 45 episodes. And right. She stopped. She's, she's like done, and she's guested on some other podcast episodes. She's this retired? expert on the MMO podcast. I knew her and she's like, And she recommended things. She's like, podcast should only be about a single game. Those are the best podcasts that are out there, podcasts that are about anything broad – just can't succeed. There's no such thing as a podcast that can go beyond like a hundred episodes. It's really <laughs> stretching it to do that. And audacity doesn't work at all. Oh, God. Um, windows and it doesn't work with 64 bit windows, just like all these things. And Scott was quietly sitting back, not saying anything. And, and Scott is, a, has no, is not shy. He's no, has no problem with getting up. Yeah. But he's not a, he's not, he's not like a, an attack guy either. No, he's he's not. He's respectful and stuff. And so he's like, how much is she going to really say? And then of all the people she, she asked the people, she's like, well, what do you think are good podcasts out there that are just general gaming podcasts? Because she didn't, she wasn't familiar with any of them. Yeah. And Agamemnon actually was there. We had no idea. Yeah. And he's like, well, I really like massively and I like channel massive. Which was freaking awesome. Yeah, that is, especially since we both of us had it on our schedule and didn't go. Yeah. Uh, and I Scott hadn't said anything yet, so Agamemnon didn't even know that any of us were there at all. We had a we had a spy in the audience. And so then that Scott got up at that point and started saying, like, actually, that software works just fine. And actually, people do get over 100 episodes and 50 episodes. She's like, he's like, have you heard of Channel Massive? They're like 204. She's like, well, that's it. And it was just... I'm sure it was kind of embarrassing, but she kind of dug her own hole. It's just like she came really unprepared, and Scott and Agamemnon were there to make and, it real. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go to that, but I was in another podcast with her and Scott, and she was like cussing about stuff. She was like really vocal. Um, he pointed her out, and um, she was like, you know, yelling profanity and stuff, which was kind of like, wow. And I don't know, that's just not my idea of. A, Good thing to do at a panel. Oh yeah. gosh! Before we move on, I have to talk about one other event that occurred. Um, this, so this part's stretching out more than I thought. But <laughs> so, at the beginning of Dragon Con, we also got the news that City of Heroes, a long-running MMO of which yeah. Noah and I have played countless hours with my previous MMO. podcasters Jim and Jason, um, and Mike from Ohio, who wasn't a podcaster but was with our groups that would get together. Uh, it was for it was the gateway drug for Noah. Um, it's being shut down, inexplicably, really. 
um, because it's kind of at a steady state as far as subscribers, and it's, you know, it just seems to be a... I'm sure our friend Dan, the, uh, the business guy, could could explain why people do things that seem like moronic decisions because it is actually good for the bottom line. And it's probably one of those stories to take, you know, to, you know, close it down and move on. But, um, yeah, they're, they're killing City of Heroes. And um, so it was kind of weird. I was in a kind of a weird mood. And whatever I had planned, I decided to ditch it to go to the City of Heroes panel. And it was almost like I was going to bask in those in the crazy fans, like, um, sadness over it. I don't know why. I was just being an ass, I guess. And so I went to it. And it started, the first ten minutes of it were dominated by this elderly lady. I mean, I don't know how old she was, but she seemed hobbit-sized. She was old, and she was in a full costume with leotards and everything. Mm-hmm. And she sang songs and did dances, some of which I captured on video. And, you know, we were going, we, she, she asked for a moment of silence for Guardian who died, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And just dominated it in a way that demonstrated clear a clear lack of any social skills or you know anything like that and you know obviously she's somewhere on the autism spectrum um it was crazy and so i was the only one who i was still in my spoiler kind of mode or whatever and so i filmed it you know like just pulled out my camera i was like this is comedy gold i have to record this And didn't feel bad at all. And then I started laughing so loud during her performance, quote unquote, that um, I finally had to stop it because the camera was shaking too much, which you can witness. I guess I could put it up sometime. But, you know, the truth is it was like her big thing was this game and, and she really loved it. And as people started talking and telling stories and just listing which server they were on and everything, I suddenly went from guy basking in the in this, you know, the spoiler kind of mode of this to, oh my god, that's my game, they're killing it. And by the end of it, I was so sad. It, like, sucked the life out of me. And I was just so bummed that this wonderful game is being shut down, and I don't know why, and I'm bummed about it, and I almost feel like playing it for the last three months. And I then I got, like, a they gave out a code to unlock a bunch of costumes that everybody can have, and... Oh, oh, it was just crushing, man. It was like I totally started to remember all my good times with you guys and all the things we did and all the silly ideas we had, like being Robert Palmer and all his backup singers. Yes. I couldn't, I couldn't conform and be a regular backup singer. I had to have some totally evil name, and then I had as soon as I could get an alternate con- uh, costume, I switched to that. It was just, you know, it was just so funny, and I was really bummed when I left it, so... That'll That's teach my... you to indulge in your schadenfreude. Yeah, so much for the funniest story. It turned into the saddest story. <laughs> well, it's okay. It, 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 emotions run the gamut. Yeah, I'd have to say so. So something that we saved specifically for this podcast that I need to hear is we went to Dragon Con knowing that Richard Garriott was going to be blessing the convention with his <clears throat> powerful presence in history Run, sometimes headlining some panels and and actually just co-hosting some other panels. I wanted to go to some, but I had things that just went out ultimately because I didn't have enough interest in the Schadenfreude there. But Mark actually did make it to a Richard Gary panel, not the one that I figured would be the most preposterous, where he soloed explaining the three grand eras of games. 
which the third area, in case you didn't know, are Facebook game surprise. Yeah. <laughs> but you did get to hear him speak on some things, and you were prepared to just reinforce your negative, current negative assessments of his personality, but you actually came out not feeling that way. Yeah, which was really weird. So, I mean, first off, I saw him um, just randomly walking through the Marriott with, I think, probably his wife, um, and he was dressed up like a chef. They were both chefs, and it was his, his hat said Chef Richard and stuff. So I was like, whoa, I just walked right by Richard Garriott. That's crazy. And, I mean, the guy has a pretty distinctive look to him, you know. Um, so, and he was smiling for a picture at the time. So I was like, oh, I saw Richard Garriott. That's cool. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it all goes back to, um, you know, I play, I played all the Ultima games. I haven't finished all of them, but I've finished most of them. Um, I even finished Ultima nine, which was supposed to be a huge disappointment for a lot of people. And I loved it. Um, so I also, as far as origin goes, which is a game company, I played, um, Wing Commander 1, I actually became a PC gamer because of Wing Commander 1. So, I mean, you know, I, I go way back with this guy as far as a consumer of his wares, and I, at the time, idolized him because I thought it was so cool, um, especially with his first, you know, couple games, which he made all, he made, he did all the art, he did all the sound, he did all the programming, he did it all. And it was like a one-man indie game studio. And then things were distributed in, um, you know, like plastic Ziploc bags with hand-printed instructions and stuff like that. I mean, it's re- it's it's really pretty crazy, um, you know, how he how he managed to do all that. So there's that. But then there's some of the articles we read about Richard Garriott where he just makes these pronouncements that sound asinine and they sound like you know coming like the guru sitting from the mountain on high yeah yeah where he's like you know um pc gaming is dead or well i don't think he ever said that but he said some you know he just says these things and you're like what i don't i don't know if i you know agree with that and and it sounds too like he's just cocky and then there's this whole astronaut thing and you're like, Oh geez, you know, he's doing the he's flying around in space and he's the son of an astronaut and the the neighbor of an astronaut and then he, <laughs> you know, paid some money and went into space himself and everything. Like, you know, I just don't know what I'm I don't know what exactly to think of all that and so there's there's all that and it just it kinda complicates you know, my perception of the guy, but you have to remember that originally he was an idol. And then he was to me like a fallen idol because, you know, a lot of stuff he said didn't pan out. A lot of his predictions didn't come true. Um, He sold origin to EA, which I was like, you know, like a cat, you know, hissing when that happened and stuff. And so I went to this 30 years in gaming and he was one of the panelists. Um, And, son of a bitch, you know, he was eloquent, he was um, super, you just could tell he was super smart, super energetic, super high energy level, knew all of his facts, not only about gaming, but about the business and about what was going on, gave like all these interesting like anecdotes about what he was doing during these different eras over the last 30 years of gaming and, you know, what he thought was going to happen and what actually happened and you know, at the end, he made a couple of predictions and then, he, you know, but he said, you know, I'm always like, I'm at least wrong half the time. So just take this with a grain of salt. But, you know, when I say I think that 
um, console gaming is going to die. I think it's because of the ubiquitous handheld devices that we have now and all their processing power and the fact that games are getting better for them. And I'm thinking, wow, I just went to this Infinity Blade um, you know, panel earlier where it's like the first real AAA title for an iOS game and, you know, it's stuff like that. And it was just to see the guy, to read an interview with the guy, he sounds like a pompous ass, but to see, actually see him in person, there's none of that. He's very humble about everything he says and everything he's done. And even they were even talking about game designers. Um, and he was like, well, there's different kinds of game designers. There's me, which, you know, I have to do everything iteratively because I just don't see what the, I can't see that final outcome. And then he's talking about the guy, the and I, I'm so sorry, I can't think of the guy's name, but it's Chris something, and he was the guy that did Wing Commander, which was like my, my big PC gaming, like, oh my gosh, I got to look at that. He said that guy would just sit and think and do it all in his head and design the whole thing in his head to completion and then go, I got it, I'm ready, and then share it with the team and make it happen and be rigid about it and say, I'm not building this with input from anyone. This is what I want. This is my vision. And he compared that guy to Mozart and said, yeah, I'm a kind of a pale imitation to that guy. And so, you know, all that combined, it just changed my opinion of him. And I was pretty, pretty damn awed by him. So didn't expect that to happen at all. So I'd much rather make snarky comments about him, but... I got nothing. And now you you can say, Mr. Garrett, you can fly to the moon as many times as you yeah. want. Well, you know, he pays for it with his own money, so if he wants to do that, that's fine. But he's... You can make as many sexy poker Facebook games as you want. Oh, what's that horrible game for Ready Player One that he did? The... Oh, God. Garage See, sale. Do you forgive everything like without No, I don't forgive that. That okay. I don't. There's no forget that is one of his mistakes. Unforgivable. Yeah. <laughs> of course, Ernest Klein made a mistake too. I think he was blinded by the light as well when he said, "Yeah, let's make that the second gate." Yeah. Speaking of listeners, if any of you actually did the third gate or third game, we don't even know what it is. Yeah, we totally were bummed out by that. Which is kind of lame considering Social how much game. we cheerleaded. The yeah. Book. And especially the contest afterwards. So if anybody has any impressions to share about that, I'd love to hear it. But a question that came up for us, Mark, while we were at DragonCon, more and more frequently with each day that we were there was, do you like this? Is it fun? Is it what you hoped for? Would you go again? Right. And I was curious, now that you've had some time to digest it because i know that we've definitely already talked about this before we recorded but i'm curious to hear what your impressions are and other things have kind of marinated some more yeah it's an interesting story so thursday i wasn't too excited about it um i was like oh man i think we should have held out for next year's packs or something then um friday was like the first day with real panels which had that battlestar galactica panel i was like this is pretty damn cool um and then um, but still with, even with that, there's just a lot of stress for me. And I was like, why am I stressed out on vacation? And I'll tell you what it was, was I was interested in so many facets of the 13 or 14 or whatever different tracks that there were <laughs> that I was constantly missing things that I wanted to go to. And they weren't, they weren't events that would happen on another day. So it was like, it was a one-time shot and I was missing it and I was having to choose 
almost every hour I had to make a decision to diss three things and take one over them. And while it sounded to me, you know, when I set up my calendar, which they have an app that makes it really easy, but when I set that up, it sounded like at the time this would be the best way to go. In retrospect, I wish I had just done it all weeks before and laid out my schedule and stuck with it because it was agonizing and it was depressing because I knew I was missing stuff that, you know, really good content, especially after the first day and I started to realize the level of the panels and the speakers and everything. I was like, I'm really missing good stuff here. And I'm not going to, this is like my one shot, you know, I'm not going to be able to get this again. And even if I go next year, I'm not going to go for a year. And I'm, and so it started to bum me out and it started to stress me out. And, um, I never was really okay with it. Even on the last day in my last panel, I was like, should I, there's two more things I am interested in tonight. You know, one was like at 11 o'clock, which was dub your own hentai. And I'm by no means into anime or hentai, but the very thought <laughs> Of being able to do a Mystery Science Theater 3000 type voice overlay over some really explicit hentai and, and also having to pre-qualify to be able to do it. Like, I knew I could do it. I, I mean, I felt I felt confident that I'd be able to make it through that, but I thought it would just be hilarious. I thought it would be oh, one yeah. of the funniest things ever. But it was so late, and I was already so tired, and I had to diss it, and we had to wrap it up. And instead, we ended up playing League of Legends till like, midnight, but... Um, but all that combined made me kind of lukewarm to the whole thing. And then after I got back and started to reflect on it, I was like, first day after, I was like, I had a lot of fun. Second day after, I was like, I had a freaking blast. And now I'm like, that was awesome. So um, <laughs> I guess through my reflection, I've had a higher and higher appreciation for it and everything that I had to offer. So I it did meet my expectations. That's great. Yeah, I I feel the same way. It there were some times like I was in a writing for video games panel. And I was like, dang it, this one guy who wrote for Dragon Age one and two, he's such a good speaker, and he'd done a panel the night before that was sex in video games, and uh-huh. being a, the guy being a head writer from Bioware, which is a company that's done a lot of progressive work in trying to address that and Fox figure out a called. way to. The, the sex simulator. A sex simulator. Yeah. yeah, it's just a really interesting challenge. I'm like, man, I wish I could have seen that, but instead we were wasting time at the adult themed costume party. Crap. Oh, we, we now we know never to do that again. Yeah. Ugh. But except, speaking of parade, was really good. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you're gonna go, if you're gonna go and you want to go to one of the main events, we highly recommend the parade, and I highly recommend the Miss Star Trek Universe pageant. Freaking awesome. But overall. I still feel a little dazed about it. Like, wow, I can't believe I saw these people speak. I, it was so cool to have a moment to just sit in a room with these people and listen to them talk about their experiences and answer all sorts of questions and to see all those costuming, uh, all the costumes. And Masterful it was, costuming. Yeah. And or just, we got to see, um, Noah and I are huge fans of True Blood, and we got to go to a True Blood panel that and was see so cool. actors from that. Including Lafayette, who's like the most talented actor. <laughs> and he's just great in person, too. He's, yeah. he's really funny. But I, I always feel that if I go to a video game convention that I've really gone to the motherland because it's just like, everybody here is into video games as much as I am. It's like, oh my gosh, I just feel so at home and so excited to be there. Yeah. And at DragonCon, it was very similar because 
there are people that are really into Star Wars, really into True Blood or Star Trek or or Lord of the Rings, just all these things that I love. It's just like so many things and everybody's just completely comfortable with geeking out to the max to the point of wearing ridiculous costumes and doing silly content oh, yeah. like that. And it's just such a cool environment to just immerse yourself all completely into that group of people and to just enjoy being around each other and just ha- having random conversations. I spoke with someone different, I think on the bus ride back every time and I could talk with them about anything. Oh yeah. That was like on our last bus ride back when I was talking to the um, guy who'd been to the same, some of the same Robert Jordan track stuff that I'd been to just talking about details of like somebody's vision in one of the wheel of time books. And we were like going, we were mulling it over. We were so geeked out. I mean, we were at such a deep level of geek immersion there. I was like, anybody listening to this is going to be like, what the hell is that? Cause it was <laughs> such a random conversation, but like he was shocked. I knew what I knew and I was shocked. He knew what he knew. And it was just like hilarious, you know? Sorry. Yeah. So yeah. while we did have that weird encounter with that one, woman at the beginning i'd say one of our two listeners probably probably i'd say by and large the people there were just really fantastic our fellow con goers and from that perspective that i got to see so many cool panels so many cool costumes i got to go with you guys mark i I think uh uh, actually i'll get to that in a second just from that perspective it was extremely satisfying and i definitely enjoyed it i think the one, one thing that we all repeatedly said to each other that we wish hadn't worked out this way, but it's just the nature of this convention is a, a group of four of us went to this convention, but there's are so many panels. There's so many things going on simultaneously and they, there's catering to just every single, so many different niches in pop culture and sci-fi and everything else. We ended up hardly ever being in the same panels at the same time. So it was almost like we'd gone by ourselves most of the time because we were just you know, solo everywhere. You know what's interesting is you and me, um, I think we went to the most panels together. Of anyone. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, And that Canadian guy that we were in line with, I was in three panels with that guy. It was kind of funny. No random, way. Random, gigantic Canadian dude and us and me were in like three panels. It was really funny. Yeah. So, mm. w- Would you agree that that was... Yeah probably one of the only drawbacks aside from being able to yeah. make horrible decisions like gosh is this or this or sleep well that's what scott said was you know he likes to um and i liked that about e3 and i didn't go with you guys to pax but um at e3 it's like we all would go to the same thing and experience it together and then we could sit down as a group and talk about it and what everybody you know perceived it to be and how it went and that was kind of cool whereas this you know, you were really on your own. And, you know, most of what you were concerned about was how the hell do I get to the next panel through the crowds within only 30 minutes. Yeah. Within 30 minutes and get in and eat and drink and go potty. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Go to the restroom. Some would say, but you know what I mean? It was like, it was really like all about that. It would start, I would get there for the first session and then all next thing I knew it'd be over for the day and I'd be like what the hell just happened but it was because I was like purely in take it all in mode or how do I navigate through the crowd as fast as possible and get where I need to be and you know it was 
it's kind of it and that I think that was part of what was bumming me out while I was there sort of. I think if I go next time um I'll have a different expectation for that and be able to handle it much better. It's like this is just part of it. This is like the price you pay. It's kind of like when <laughs> yes. you work. It's like you have all this money that you get once or twice a month or whatever, but there's this other thing you have to do which is actually work for your money. But you're used to it, whereas I was just like, I'm on vacation. I should be laying out by a pool drinking Coronas, like in the commercials. And, 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 like, that was not part of it. It was hectic crowds. It was, you know, intense. I, I actually almost got in a fight there, which was funny. Yeah, while you were waiting in lines. That's another yeah. thing that a lot of time has been doing is standing on the line. And I don't think fights break out often at all, but I was ready to go toe-to-toe. I was pissed. Um, but, yeah, it was just... It was. It's pretty weird um, how that how it goes, but I, I think it did meet. It exceeded my expectations really, because I I actually didn't have great expectations for it because I was so bummed that pack sold out in four hours, <laughs> and that was what I really wanted to do with you guys. But we were talking about in an email today, like a uh, thread today, like Mo. We were wondering where the new PAX event would be, and we were thinking it might be Austin, and it said it starts with an A. But it's very far away. Yeah. <laughs> it's about a, a 13, or what is it? It's like a 20-hour flight. I don't know, to Australia from here. It's way far away. Um, and we were like, oh, never mind that. Um, <laughs> if I go to Australia, I won't be there for a, you know, a convention for gaming. Um, and so we were like, well, we could go to, we can go to PAX Prime, you know, assuming we can, we're red, poised at our keyboards for the second t- tickets go on sale. <laughs> You know, <laughs> um, or we could go to the one in Boston or, you know, something like that. And I was like, I was actually thinking, you Noah, know, and I didn't, I don't think I wrote any email back yet, but I was like, cause I was shocked. I was like, well, I can't not do Dragon Con. So it's obviously got to be the, the Boston one. Cause I, I, I think it might just be a permanent thing I do now. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just really up on it, you know? Well, and this kind of ties back to something we talked about earlier and I apologize for not bringing it up. Something that we also said to each other frequently with respect to costumes was that we all wanted to do costumes next time. Yeah. What would your costume be next time if you do it? Oh, gosh. I'm thinking of video game characters. So I would love to go all out and make a a really kick-ass Mass Effect costume. But I think that that's far more advanced and that if I try to jump into that, I would just get overwhelmed and quit. You should talk to Bob. He's been researching it a lot. I bet he could help you. Ooh. So either that, or I was—I th- think I might go as Professor Layden or Phoenix Wright. <laughs> well, that'll make a lot of listeners happy who've been wondering how you're doing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because it's your lawyer games, and they would be really <laughs> easy to dress up as, and they'd be recognizable. So, and I don't think they would be um, cumbersome or or hot, because one thing you have to com- oh. contend with is the heat of Atlanta, um, in you know late summer. So. Oh. There's only one costume that I would want to wear, and it's really funny that it's just like to me like something non-negotiable. But there was a fantasy um, character named Delric of Melnabone that I read as a kid, and I think I would love to be a gigantic um, that would be so albino cool. with a rune sword. That so, was awesome. I actually it was even on a site like that one of the days there like what do those contact lenses cost? Cause he, he's got red eyes. 
Well, if you go with the whole thing where it's your whole eye is red, including like you know all parts of your eye, it's like three hundred fifty bucks. So that's out of the question. But the way he actually looks in the pictures, it would just be the the iris or whatever, I guess. And uh, that that's more. That's what I want to do though. If I go black I cool. armor, I think it's pretty cool. No one, and I didn't see any, so I'm guessing it'd be quite rare. But that, that's what you'd want to do, right? You wouldn't want to be yet yeah. another Wookie. You wouldn't want to be yet another um, stormtrooper. There seems to be enough stormtroopers there that you could, uh, you know, they seem expendable. You could probably just kill one and no one would notice. <laughs> um, well, likewise, you know. Oh. I did see a really good um, Black Widow costume there, too. But I felt sorry for the guy with her because he always had to be in some subjugated position whenever he was with her, like with a high <laughs> heel to the back of the neck or a high heel to the sternum or whatever happened. He was always getting fucked up. And I always thought, man, that would kind of it'd be kind of cool to be with her because the woman was really hot. But the downside would be just the constant abuse. Yeah, I was surprised just how many sexy people were there. Yeah, and because there were the... definitely there were to, people are totally out, open about cosplay, so there were some people who definitely didn't have the body type or the persona or whatever to be did in whatever anyway. costume they were, but they did anyways, and it was totally cool. It's like that's great, but then there was like some people just like, whoa, I'm gonna start drooling or something because it's <laughs> like wow. I'm telling you, man. I mean, yeah, there were some people where you were like, uh, um, um, uh. They were totally geeks, you know? I mean, mean, you have to be to commit to that many days of cosplay around those people. You can't be like, well, I'm just going here because I'm a cosplay expert, you you know? (laughs) I'm going to make a connection with Hollywood. You're not. Those people are there because they're really passionate about it and they kicked ass working out or doing whatever it took to really just go all the way and what was with the like glut of amazonian women that was just nuts oh my gosh that's right there were so many people taller than both of us and there was like lots of really tall women yeah i don't know what was going on there like i don't know if it's like a recessive gene that's like linked to like height and geekiness (laughs) but there were some big ass people there i mean i've never seen that many a ratio of that many tall people anywhere and i don't mean like fat i mean like big and some of them were buff too and you were just like holy shit you know if if like if it's the end of the world right now this might be the best place to assemble a new army yes it was (laughs) you know they can make good costumes we'll have the best uniforms there are um (laughs) but yeah they were like humongous it was especially like when they had that like playboy bunny like thing in the middle of the marriott Oh, and yeah, were, those women and, were tall as it was, and then they were in these huge heels, and they're just like, yeah. holy cow, they're like think, seven feet tall. I think they had to be like 5'10 and up to get in their club, and they had like huge stilettos on, and they were gigantic. I mean, and you get close, and like, because um, my first thought was they're all dudes, and then I got close, and I was like, no, they're, they're not. They're, <laughs> they're real women. Real women <laughs> that are... They will be the first of many as we usher in a new era of offspring. Wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry about that. Just slipped out. I just thought, you know. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty pretty amazing. Well, so we covered did it meet your expectations, but would you recommend this, Noah? Would you be like tell people would you tell people at the office around the water cooler or were you like, Oh, my vacation, yeah, I was I was at a pool. I was mostly at the beach. I was, you know, or you know, 
Were you forthcoming about where you were, or were you, like, embarrassed? Yeah, I'm pretty if, unabashed about and, my geekiness and my hobbies, and so I was like, I saw all this cool stuff. There was, And when it's people that I don't think will be totally interested in the pure geeky side of it, that's when I bring up the actors. So it's like, I saw like, actors from the old Star Trek and from X-Files and from True Blood, and then I would usually finish it with, and Lord of the Rings, because... Oh, yeah, it's that's pretty good universal. that one. And yeah. it's appreciation love. And that's what everybody who's kind of like, eh, they latch on like, who was it? What they say, was there any cool stories? And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's easy to make people envious when you can pull stuff out like that. Because just like, oh, they, they understand. And it's like, yeah, I was so cool. How about yeah. you? Oh, yeah, I was talking to um, a bunch of the the people that Bob and I continue to hire into the company, I guess. <laughs> like interns and stuff. And uh, we, we all went to lunch today and I was, I just couldn't shut up. I was like, man, they're probably getting sick of this, but they are, you know, they're both kind of into geek stuff. So they probably like it, but I don't know, but they're younger, you know, they're like 20 something. And I'm just like, yeah, I got to see all kinds of cool stuff. I was shocked. And uh, I wonder if they're going, man, when I'm your age and I'm on vacation with my trophy wife, I'm totally not going to be at some geek convention. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was cool, you know. I I I will I will sing the praises of Dragon Con to anybody that wants to hear it because I thought it was a blast. Yeah, and it was some some about it was just really honest too, you know. Mm-hmm. Like everybody was just like, yeah, this is a pretty damn cool convention, and we're having a really good time. And there's a lot of stuff to take in, but we're doing it, and we've done it for years, and they've got mm-hmm. a lot of it down. The only thing those people need to do is go to Comic-Con, I understand, is quite good at this, and figure out how to do lines, because they do not know how to do lines at all. They are horrible, 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 horrible at the logistics of getting people in and out of rooms and following their own rules. Yeah. So um, if they can figure that out, it'll be great. Wow. So that's our epic Dragon Con discussion I I wish that Bob and Scott were here, but as it turns out, we were able to more than fill up the time. Period. We were. We intended this to be really short so we could play League of Legends, but instead we've managed to squander two hours or so <laughs> of time. I had a really good time talking about it, though, and like kind of getting a lot of my thoughts kind of down because I think they were in the back of my mind, but I hadn't really... Um, kind of formalized them a lot, and so it was like a good time. It was a good uh, way to kind of decide on some things, just because the subjects made me, um, and it was cool. I'm glad we got to re- recap it. I hope everybody that listened is interested in Dragon Con, and maybe would consider going if you haven't, or if you have gone, please write in and let us know your experiences, and especially if you're like a long-time um, attendee of Dragon Con, we'd love to hear how it's changed or gotten better or worse over the years. Yes. And, um, you know, any experiences you have, most ridiculous experiences, anything like that, at mail. M-A-I-L. Channelmassive.com. Or you can, you, can, uh, you can always find us on Facebook. You can tweet us. You can, if you're so inclined. Go I to the Twitter.com slash this is Noah. That's right I am on Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah. We have a we have an official channel, massive one, but that one we don't seem to get around too much, um, mostly because Jason is dead to us. No, Jason is <laughs> busy. Um, and uh, you know, you can also, if you like our podcast and what we're doing, you know, rate us on iTunes. The only 
place that currently matters really for this um and if you if you like us or hate us however passionate you are give us five stars and then just give us a glowing review and we'll know we'll know from a glowing review whether you're just pleased or not we can read between the lines yeah very make it as subtle as possible (laughs) you should actually have a contest for subtle subtly praising yet like angry i i change reviews (laughs) creative writing 101 um (laughs) But yeah, it was really fun talking with you about it, Noah. I had a good time. I'm glad we were able to go, and I hope that we have more stories like this to tell next year. Yeah, I do too. I would really like to make it a a tradition. I didn't think of that the first day, but things have changed. So, good time. Well, thank you again, listeners, for sticking with us and subscribing. And we'll be back to our regular format. And maybe we'll have Bob and Scott next week too. Next week.